Welcome to the Educational Leadership Series, Lead Change in Education, where your co-hosts, Adam Drummond and Mark McAmoyle, talk with educational leaders across the country in ways that they're boosting student academic achievement and building collective teacher efficacy. Each episode is especially designed to examine the ways that you can be instructional change agents in your schools as you work to reform culture, instructional planning, learner engagement, and community advocacy in your schools or in your districts. Take the ideas from our guests and work to apply them in your schools so that you can be instructional change agents too. Welcome back to another exciting edition where we work with school leaders across the country hearing how they're being instructional change agents in their schools and in their districts. We're joined today by Peter. And so we are so excited, Peter, to have you here joining our podcast today. Hi, Peter. Great to have you. Well, thank you both, uh, Adam and Mark. It's a pleasure to join you both today uh, and speak about a topic that's uh, important to all of us in administration. Uh, a little bit about myself. I'm currently the superintendent in Tiverton, Rhode Island, uh, a small district down on the coast of about 2,000 students. However, prior to that, I served for 10 years as superintendent in Natick, Massachusetts, uh, a district of about 6,000 students. And then prior to that, um, after 10 years in Natick or before Natick, I served uh, as a superintendent in Millis, Massachusetts, a small community of about 2,500 students. So it's been the superintendency for the last 14 years, and it's been a great ride. That's fantastic. So, you know, one of the pieces that I really appreciate is that you just have this depth of experience, um, having lots of different um, opportunities to serve in, in small districts, larger districts, of course, being a principal, assistant principal, teacher. And when we talked previously, one of the pieces that you, you noted in all of the work that you do is how to develop this sense of urgency um, for, you know, teachers, administrators, other school district folks to understand that importance of the work that you're doing. So could you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the critical components of uh, executing change and having people understand. Um, and, and it's a leadership responsibility for us to, to identify um, sort of to their heads and their hearts about the reason for a change and ultimately what a, successful what a successful change will bring about for them, um, which hopefully then will make them want to work for the change and become involved in the, in the change. So that sense of urgency is, is you know, sort of, not sort of, it's articulating that, you know, as we use the terms vision and mission, what's that desired state down the line, how we can get there, how do we remove the barriers? Um, it's involving people in it, but... Again, that first critical step is is that that sense of urgency that we need to make this this move, this initiative, this change in whatever we're doing, uh, and it's always for the benefit of students. Say, say Peter, anybody that's been in leadership uh, in schools, but outside of education as well, understands that that sense of urgency is critical. Um, but there are many ways to create that sense of urgency, aren't there? So, can you reflect a little bit about you know uh, situations? where you, you create opportunities for self-realization, whether it be looking through data or whether you had to actually drive and paint the picture of that urgency. Can you reflect on your experiences um, and the different strategies? Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, you, you touched upon one of the key things in education, right, data. So we get inundated with data every year, whether it's our SAT scores, our ACT scores, our state testing scores. And not that that's an end-all, be-all, it's certainly a way 
that a school's reputation is generated. And we have to, I think, you know, recognize that. I mean, it's in the newspapers. It's what colleges look at and reflect upon when they're evaluating our school. So that data becomes critical to us as far as then what is our education program and is, our, is it preparing our students then um, for that next step in their journey, um, you know, through our district, through K-12 and, and hopefully on to post-secondary education. So, um, you know, one of the examples I can use is um, one of the major changes I've made in, in, in a couple different districts is um, is going to formative com common writing prompts every course, every grade level uh, across the district. And, you know, simply we know that the more students write, the more they're going to master content, the more we're going to develop their, their, their thinking skills, their, their critical thinking skills, their communication skills, and their ability to interact with their peers. It's, it just encompasses so many um, other skills other than just the content and the writing. And so we also know that's a way to link teachers where they can look at the data and look at the results at a school-based level. And so, you know, creating the urgency around that simply gets into um, – we want students to master the content you're teaching. How can we get them to that level at a higher level? Well, writing's one way to get that. How do we get students to do better on the ACT and the ACT? Well, we know the more they write, the better prepared they're going to be on that. How can we get students to become better prepared on our state exams? Well, we know the more students write, the better they're going to be. So it's, it's simply then getting people to reflect on that and saying, okay. And then if we, um, you know, we tie into that, and I hate to use jargon, but professional learning communities and teachers are actually working together. We're now providing them a data source that they're all very familiar with, that they've all executed, that they can look at the results together and then feed information back to administration saying, hey, you know what? This methodology isn't working so well. This curriculum material isn't working so well. So then it ties into making other changes that they have a strong voice in. So uh, first of all, being a, a former middle school language arts teacher, um, I so appreciate your understanding and importance of the writing that happens in classrooms and schools. So I think, you know, picking one area and doing one strategy really, really well, I think is absolutely critical. And we know just writing is that skill that you need in life, no matter what profession that you're going into. Um, but how did you work to, to get your faculty and staff and administrators on board for that specific strategy? Well, again, I don't want to be too redundant, but just sort of looking at that baseline data and recognizing that, um, you know, the understanding the demographics of the district and of the school and recognizing that, you know, we weren't performing up to a level that we thought we could. And is that is this a gateway skill that could get us there? And then looking at some of the research that actually um, that has, do has documented the, the impact on writing. And D Doug Reeves has a, a study out there. It's a meta-analysis of a whole bunch of districts. And I remember us looking at that and, and him just basically saying, look, when, when districts basically ask kids to write more often and to do nonfiction writing and tie it into curriculum, kids did better in school. Kids did better on standardized tests. And, and you know, again, I, don't, I hate to always make the test the end all of it, but it is an important factor of them getting on to post-secondary education. So getting people to understand that and believe that if we did this work, it would make a difference. And that's always the thing that I always say to the administrators, does it make a difference? And if and anyone can justify that, um, then we want to take a look at something. So we knew it would make a difference. So that sort of got some buy-in. We thought the work would be productive for our teachers because we basically said to them, okay, you know, I'll pick third grade, for example. All right, third grade teachers, we're going to give you time. We're going to bring all five elementary schools together 
all the third grade teachers together in our PD time. And we want you to analyze these writing prompts and decide which ones we're going to use, how we're going to score them, pick a time when we're going to execute it, pick a time when we're going to get back together to look at the data. And then I think the thing that became exciting for our teachers was, okay, now you tell us, did you have the right materials to do this? Do you need different books? Do you need different training in writing? Do you need whatever? So they, by getting them invested in the change, they saw it through a lens of that we were going to invest back in them. And I think that's what got us a lot of success. Peter, as you lead, as you lead building uh, principles uh, through this process, what are some of the skills and traits you think they need to successfully navigate those conversations? Do, do, do you have that sort of reflection already in place? Yeah, you know, and I think that just comes through meeting with them on a regular basis. So, you know, having your, your you know, we used to have ad council meetings, everyone, and we'd have just principal meetings. And, you know, part, a lot of those meetings were about professional development for principals. And so talking through um, the change process with them and talking through with them on how do they build their guiding coalition at their school, like, um, you know, and borrowing a line from the book switch, who are our bright spots and how we're going to tap them and get them to be the leaders in the building and, and empowering them to do the work and just kind of giving them the strategies to do it. You know, how do we communicate for the buy-in? How do we empower people? How do we take away the barriers so that people can execute the task? So if we talk through the steps of effective change and then talk about that with our principals and have them identify what's going on in each one of their buildings and then as a collective group, try to solve each other's problems, because a lot of problems are the same school to school. Um, I felt like we were developing them at a much higher level. That's interesting to me. So you're bringing your group of principals together to co-problem solve. I mean, this is a profession that can often become pretty isolating. So you're just leveraging that PLC or learning network right within your own district. Absolutely. And we do that for, you know, for like a curriculum change or technology change, but we also do it around supervision and evaluation. So we'll do walk, you know, learning walks together and we'll have the high school and the principal at the middle schools and, or at the elementary and vice versa. And it just brings the team together at a higher level of around, um, you know, a collective vision and mission for what the district could be. Thank you. So uh, first I'm just kind of taking everything that you're doing to empower the adults in your building to help elicit this change and, um, back to that sense of urgency. And not only are you equipping the school leaders, but you're also giving the teachers the voice. Um, you know, a little bit ago, you mentioned, you know, making sure that you're reaching out to your teachers around the resources and the tools they need to ensure that they are, um, that they have what they need in order to do what you've asked them to do. So I, I'm curious to know what would the response was from the teachers knowing that they have that opportunity for voice and how has that impacted the process? Uh, so I think that <laughs> I think that's a a journey, right? And it's a journey that starts with uh, probably some trepidation and um, um, suspicion from teachers around that, and it, and it and it and it generates and moves forward based upon success after success. So. You know, if, if we're going to say that to teachers and, and really give them a voice and make them instructional leaders and so forth, then we better listen. And there, and there better be at times, I, I believe, where we're going to need to take their ideas and kind of run with it and execute it a little bit. And we, we all know that teachers talk either within a building or within a district. And, and I've just found that, OK, if we 
we have these committees or we have these people working together and they're saying to us, hey, you know, I want to try this software. I want to try this. You know, we'd like to bring in this presenter because we know we could help us better with the four C's or whatever skill it is. Um, when we start doing that, then word travels quickly and people understand that, yes, we, we are empowering you. Um, you know, if I, if I take an, another example, um, you know, technology, we all know it's exploding everywhere. We know that it's, it's, a, it's a definitely another change agent. We know that we make, it makes a difference in student achievement. Um, and so in, in, in all the districts I've worked in, you know, we have what's called an innovation team or a tech integration team. And we put teachers on this team. We say, okay, you pilot the app for the third grade. You pilot the app for the seventh grade. You, you look at, um, you know, for example, ZSpace, which is a virtual reality software for high school physics or high school chemistry. And we want you to do the work and we want you to bring it back to the group and you want, we want you to show it to us and you, we want you to say to us, this is how it's going to connect kids. This is how it's going to improve our instruction. And those innovation teams then are basically presenting to the administration. And then we're saying to you, hey, you're right on. That's perfect. That's going to help kids in physics. We're going to do yeah, that. Yeah, that's fantastic. And that just builds confidence. That's fantastic, Peter. How do you facilitate that? Is that all face-to-face -face or do you have any sort of digital platform that engages your, your teachers? That's, that's wonderful to hear. Right now it's face-to-face -face that those, those groups all meet on a, a monthly basis. And, but there's so much work to be done in between that it, um, whether it's, the, again, that piloting or us getting the materials or the, the, them cultivating materials. And so then at the, at the meetings themselves, that's where the demonstrations take pl place. That's where the recommendations take place. Uh, that's fantastic. That's, cr that's culture. That's innovative culture. Right, right. And if you make people feel like they really truly have that voice, then it's just going to, again, it builds their confidence, it builds their trust, and then more things can be accomplished. So if, Peter, if you were talking with a, a brand new school leader and, you know, they were in a, a position coming into a school where the sense of urgency was necessary um, in terms of realignment of, of academic progress, what would be one or two recommendations you might have for that new leader? Yeah. So if you're brand new, my, and, and I, and I teach a couple leadership courses. So I say this to uh, aspiring principals all the time, make sure your first move is the right move. <laughs> and, and so <laughs> don't, don't tackle the complicated technical problem that's been maybe around for years. That's going to take a lot of energy and, and, and things like that. Try to figure out something that you can do right away. The teacher would, would be, would get exci excited about and so forth. And so, you know, that varies from district to district and school to school. I mean, I always say like technology can be a safe way to land, safe place to land because people are usually jazzed up about technology or you can do something around student culture and how we recognize kids. I mean, who doesn't want to recognize kids and Maybe a school or a district isn't doing that to the greatest extent possible, but just try to pick that first move that people will be excited about uh, and invested in and get success. And, you know, I hate to be cliche, but we, it, I truly believe this success breeds success, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I have definitely appreciated our, our few minutes here today, and I think that you have a lot to offer the educational community. And I think, you know, from your past um, experiences, you've seen a lot of success in work. And so I think the maybe the last thing if you could just do for our listeners is, is share 
the impact that it's had, your work specifically around this sense of urgency, how has it impacted the students that you work with every day? Because bottom line, if our students aren't responding, it's not effective. And so I'm just really curious as we wrap up our time today to know what the student response has been to the work that you've been doing. Yeah, so if I if I go, let me go back to the district I was in for 10 years where it's, it's uh, uh, more, uh, I can say more quantitatively and qualitatively the impact there. For sure. Uh, and so that as a superintendent, um, and sometimes in a large district, I'm not hearing directly from students face to face. I mean, that, that that's the kind of conversation I want our principals to have. Mm -hmm. But I'm certainly looking at the impacts of the um, of the initiatives and the change. And I know that when they're working, that this is going to again build that culture and so forth. So my response or, or my re re reflection on that would be, you know, I've seen a district then improve uh, across every metric. Um, by putting in place, uh, again, I'll, I'll go back to the writing, by using technology to a greater extent and by implementing professional learning communities. And so the impact on kids was graduation rates shot up, discipline went down, and we have all the statistics to back this up. State scores went up, college acceptances went up, college acceptances to the most highly sought after colleges went up. Um, you know, those are the things that we're all after, right? And I always I, I say to our administrators, you know, our goal is every year in the first Saturday in June or the first Friday in June that every kid watches, walks across that stage. It's a hundred percent graduation and every kid has some kind of post-secondary education plans. And when we do that, we've achieved our goal. Mm -hmm. You reflect on Pierre that there's some bread and butter to this. Keeping things simple and the structures to support those simple goals are really important. Yeah, isn't that so true? Yeah, <laughs> I, I think to, to Mark's point and your experience, we see too many times that we're trying to fix everything at once and we get we get convoluted in the work and we fail to realize that simple is effective. Um, and we just have to be intentional in how we see that vision from beginning to end through the process. It's funny and simple is misunderstood. Simple often people think about it as... <laughs> It's not a heavy lift. Oh, simple can be a heavy lift. It just means we've got a nice hyper focus on that particular area that's very important. Absolutely right. And, and, and just to stay diligent to that focus and let, let it progress to a way that it becomes successful, which makes the next focus a little bit easier because then people start yeah. to believe. Absolutely. Well, Peter, this has been an absolute pleasure. I am just so appreciative of you giving of your time today for the, the bigger educational community. And um, if you want to know more about Peter's work and what he's doing currently as the superintendent at Tiverton Schools in Rhode Island, you can follow Peter at on Twitter at Tiverton Super. And he would definitely enjoy the, the continued collaboration and conversation. And we'll make sure that we post his information um, along with this podcast today. So, Peter, thank you so much for inspiring those listeners on what they need to do to be the change agents in their schools and districts. Well, I appreciate it, Adam and Mark. It's been a pleasure speaking with you both and hope we connect down the line. Sounds, Sounds great. Thanks a lot, Peter. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining another exciting episode of Lead, Change, and Education, where we talk with educational leaders just like you and how they're boosting student achievement and building collective teacher efficacy. 
Tune in to our weekly podcast by joining and subscribing to the podcast platform that works best for you. You can also follow Adam at Adam D. Drummond or Mark at MWHS Principal on Twitter. You can also find us on LinkedIn and you can use the hashtag lead change ed to stay up to date on all of the exciting things that are happening in education related to our podcast as well as the work that we do each and every day until next time be the change you wish to lead in your schools